Hey everyone, welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby and I'm joined today by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great. How you doing? Doing well and Ellis Williams joining as well. Ellis, how are you? Things are good. I was re-watching the Titans-Ravens playoff game today and just got me missing football more than ever. So I'm sure that theme will continue through the summer as it usually does. I, I saw that on our, uh, our football insider uh, texts today. I saw the, that you texted about re-watching that game. So uh, we'll tell you more about football insider later and how you could have received that text and gotten that little nugget of info long before anyone else did. Uh, but we've sort of been talking the la- this week about what to expect from guys. Uh, we talked about Baker Mayfield. Uh, we talked about Nick Chubb. And in that Nick Chubb discussion, we talked about another guy a lot, and, and that's Kareem Hunt. And I don't know about you guys, I'm just endlessly fascinated by Kareem Hunt, uh, just because of his talent level, but also because, as it stands right now, this is going to be his first full season since uh, that second year in Kansas City. He had that amazing rookie year. Uh, he, he really took off in that second year, too. And then he had the incident at the nine, got suspended, missed eight games last season. He was really good in the last eight games that he played, but this is sort of his, his comeback year, if you will, but he's in an entirely different role on, on top of it. He's not going to be the featured back. So I don't know about you guys, but Mary Kay, I know I'm, I'm just endlessly fascinated with what we're going to see from Kareem Hunt this season. Well, he's so talented. You know, he's just an incredible, incredible talent. And as you mentioned, he hasn't had a full year since his rookie year when he led the NFL in rushing. I mean, think about that. He wins the NFL title uh, in that first year. So uh, again, this is a huge comeback for him. And you know, the last time we really saw and heard from Kareem Hunt, he wasn't in a good headspace. I mean, he just wasn't in a good headspace. Uh, you know, we, we saw the video of him getting stopped on the highway by the police and you know, he was upset and he was still struggling with the fact that he wasn't with the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. That was very painful to him. And I think some of those feelings were just starting to come up. He had time to process it. I did get a chance to, uh, you know, to talk to Kareem last year. You know, I mean, I, I sat down with him and really kind of uh, picked his brains a lot about just what that year was like and what that whole incident was like and the aftermath and trying to put all the pieces back together and how grateful he was uh, to be on a football team, whereas uh, the previous Christmas, he had no idea if he was going to be back in football. So he's been through a lot emotionally. He's been through a lot emotionally his whole entire life. Uh, in that story, uh, you know, I, I have an anecdote in there about how his dad, who's been in and out of prison his whole entire life, showed up for training camp one day and was just, you know, shouting uh, Kareem's name from the stands. And just, you know, and I could just see, I was kept looking over at Kareem and how he was just trying so hard, you know, to just like block that out and do his job and, you know, and, and stick his nose to the grindstone. And uh, he's been through an awful lot. And uh, here's hoping that, you know, that he's kind of got his head on straight and that he's ready for a big season. And, and Ellis, in the discussions we've had about Kareem Hunt in, in previous podcasts the other day, uh, I, I kind of get the feeling that that you're sort of with me on, on just seeing how talented he can be and just being intrigued about how he might get used this year. Yeah, Kareem Hunt passes every version of the eye test you want to throw at him. He, he looks the part, he plays the part, and he's, he's versatile uh, aesthetically when you see him on the field, whether he's lining up in the backfield by himself with Nick Chubb or in the slot. He really is one of the most versatile backs in football. Off the top of my head, he's, he's not a route runner like Christian McCaffrey, but 
you know, he might be that poor man's version of that where, you know, McCaffrey can double as a, as a slot receiver. And at times, Kareem Hunt was doing that last year. What I, what, what I can't figure out and what I'm sure everyone can't wait to see is how Kevin Stefanski deploys Kareem Hunt. Is he just going to be a, a change of pace back? Because in, in Minnesota, it was a one-man show. It was Dalvin Cook. Now, they had Alexander Madison, um, who, who isn't – he really isn't comparable to Kareem Hunt, but he was a nice change of pace. And I don't think they'll delegate Kareem Hunt to that role. So now everything else works when we're trying to carbon copy – Kevin Stefanski's offense you know it's he's going to have two tight ends you know we can go watch the tape and see how even two three tight ends worked in Minnesota there's going to be play action we've all seen the clips of Kirk Cousins booting and finding Stephon Diggs deep okay now that's Odell Beckham deep or Jarvis Landry's like Adam Thielen yada yada I can go on what I can't figure out is how Kareem Hunt's going to be used and that's the great mystery and it's a great problem for a guy like Kevin Stefanski to have I, I know last year when we, we would talk about him before he came back, I, I almost saw him as like worst case scenario was he was going to end up as an overqualified Duke Johnson, who of course we all remember uh, was in Cleveland for a long time and was always the guy that fans wanted to see more of, right? We need to see more of Duke Johnson. Why isn't he on the field more? And I thought that at the worst, he's just going to end up as an overqualified Duke Johnson. We'll see what happens from there. I, I think he'd, he, he did more than that. I, I think Freddie Kitchens and, and Todd Munkin did find different ways to get him on the field. I still don't think it was enough. Um, but I, I think that's what the Browns and Kevin Stefanski need and Alex Van Pelt need to avoid is making sure that this guy doesn't become an afterthought. Because obviously you want to give Nick Chubb carries. Uh, you, you want to get the, get the ball in the hands of your receivers and your tight ends. But you've also got to find a way to use Nick Chubb because you want defense – I'm sorry, to, to use Kareem Hunt because you want defenses every time he walks on the field to figure out Where's he lining up? What's he going to do? And how do we need to adjust that? So to me, Mary Kay, that's kind of the big challenge that they face is making sure they actually use him and, and he doesn't turn into kind of what happened with Duke Johnson. You know, I think he's enough of a talent that they will be able to find very creative ways to use him. And there are a couple of things that stand out to me about Kareem Hunt and why they can do that. Uh, one is we've heard, and we've talked about this before, Kevin Stefanski has talked numerous times about how he likes to have the ambiguity of whether you're going to run the ball or you're going to pass the ball on any given play. And I think that, that Kareem Hunt really provides you with that when you have him on the field because you can you know motion him out and it looks like it's going to be a run you know you can really get confusing for defenses run versus pass whenever you have Kareem on the field whereas with Nick Chubb you know if you feel like you're in in a run formation chances are he's going to run the ball uh, but I think with Kareem Hunt you can do so many other things with him in that way and I think that they will uh, the other thing is um you know, I think it gives them even more scheme versatility just in terms of, you know, you can play 22 personnel with, with both of those guys. You can use him as your fullback. You know, you can, you know, again, I mean, you can, you know, you can split him out. You can put him in the slot. You can have him, you know, in, in, you know as, the, as the single back. You can do as many things as possible with him. And he's a really, really good runner. And they didn't use him last year as a runner very much. They really didn't, but he was a willing blocker and that was good. I mean, he, he was willing, you know, to just lay it all out there. He's an unselfish player. And I think that's vitally important. He really is about the team. He's very old school that way. And I think he's grateful to be on the field. And I know that he's going to be willing to give back in that way again, but I don't think they're going to have to limit him to 
you know, being a fullback and, you know, playing the secondary role. I think there'll be enough for him to do, even as you, we've talked about this many times, he can be the third receiver. You know, I mean, when you're in, uh, you know, when you're in 11 personnel, when you're in three wides, you know, he can be your third guy. So uh, I think there's plenty that they can do with him as long as he's, uh, once again, as long as he is mentally ready to handle whatever they throw at him. Which is sort of what I've been, I've been saying that over and over again. When you talk about the third receiver, you know, stop talking about guys like Rashard Higgins and Damian Ratley and all those guys. We got, you know, they'll be in the mix, but ultimately the decision is going to come down to, do you want Rashard Higgins on the field or Kareem Hunt on the field? And there might be situations where it's Higgins, but I think a lot of times it's going to be, do you want that third receiver who's actually a receiver, or do you want a guy in Kareem Hunt who just causes matchup problems across the board? Yeah, Dan, that, that's exactly it. And I think back now to um, <clears throat> back when we could actually go to press conferences and it was Alex Van Pelt's, uh, the offensive coordinator's day to talk. And um, outside of uh, how much he got into Baker Mayfield's footwork, the other biggest takeaway I had from that was how excited he was to have Kareem Hunt on this offense. And, you know, that was before he even signed the tender or was tendered anything like that. It, it was pretty clear early on that they were already making plans for Kareem. And to me, that just screams that there's – they're not going to settle for this guy to be change of pace or, you know, like you said, a, a, an overqualified Duke Johnson. Um, <clears throat> quite frankly, if you have him in the slot in 11 personnel, really you now have a lot of options pre-snap and can motion them back into the backfield. And before you know it, you're running, you know, lead blocking when you look like you were, you know, spreading everyone out wide. So it gives the offense a bunch of versatility. The only problem with that, and, and now it's, it's a problem with training camp and, really the, what we're going to talk about with this offense as a whole is these are complicated things. Anything you're doing pre-snap takes time and in order to develop and get continuity with that. And if they just don't have the infield, you know, you can, you can watch it on tape as much as you want. You can get the playbook as much as you want, but it, until you have that on-field timing, uh, that's going to get complicated. So maybe it will take some time for Cream Hunt, Cream Hunt to define his role in this offense. But once he does, he's going to be the X factor that this offense and quite frankly, Kevin Stefanski didn't have in Minnesota last year. You know, one, one thing that stands out to me when I look at, at Nick and Kareem, just even from a physical standpoint, I mean, you've got two powerful big backs. A lot of times when you have two backs and you're changing them up, uh, you kind of have the change of pace thing, sort of like you did with a Duke Johnson. Uh, but these guys uh, have very similar, you know, like they're just big, bruising, powerful guys. And so you're not necessarily going to get a, you know, sort of a, a change up to a, like a, a, you know, super fast, little, small, shifty, scat back kind of guy. Uh, you're going to go, you know, power and power. Uh, but, I, but I still think uh, that there's enough uh, scheme versatility with those two guys, again, with the, you know, with the passing game and things like that, uh, that you can get really super creative with them. And, and I think that's part of why it works is – you know, we, we talk about deception, right? It's about deception. It's about the defense not being able to identify what's going to happen. And a lot of times there are situations where, you know, if this back comes onto the field, yeah, there'll be some token carries here and there, but they're probably going to throw the ball when this back is on the field. Uh, it's not that way with Kareem Hunt. You, you know, if, if you want to run Nick Chubb 25 times, you can do that. If you want to run Kareem Hunt 25 times, they're both feature backs. The only reason Kareem Hunt is, is in Cleveland and getting paid so little money and not a featured back somewhere is because of what happened at the nine and because Kansas city had to cut him and John Dorsey threw him a lifeline. Other than that, if, if, if 
that doesn't happen, if he stays on the straight and narrow, he's a featured back in Kansas City still getting a ton of carries and, and a ton of catches. So the Browns are in this unique situation where they have two featured backs. This is the Ernest Biner, Kevin Mack days almost, except it's in a modern offense. And uh, that, that's really where the advantage comes in. They're going to be able to, to mix these guys up, have them on the field together. I was even surprised last year to see him lined up on the end of the line you know, it's sort of a tight end. And, and that just gives you so many more options. And Ellis kind of speaking to what you were saying earlier, you can line him up wide or in the slot and motion him into the backfield. And that's going to help Baker Mayfield because now it's going to help him pre-snap be able to identify some things just, just by simply motioning Kareem Hunt. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It, it, the Browns have an opportunity to be one of the most unpredictable and versatile offenses in football. But I, I want to throw this back to you and ask each of you this quickly. And not that I'm trying to stir up any drama here or anything like that, but when you survey the NFL trade market, essentially what you need to do is look at positions and teams where there's a surplus. And the Browns have a pretty clear surplus at the running back position. We've been talking about it already for, you know, 10 minutes or so. If the Browns don't figure this out quickly, and of course winning solves everything, but if they don't figure how, how to use these two, you know, let's say just before the bye and there's games they lose close and, you know, someone thought they maybe should have been on the field more or in this situation, do you anticipate when this is for both of you anticipate any sort of, do you see an opportunity for frustration to mount and that either one of these be, could become trade options by a trade deadline? I think that's something we needed to, to explore or, or am I off base here? You know, I, I think that uh, the hard part in trying to gauge something like what you're asking, Ellis, is the fact that this is a new regime. And not only is it a new regime, and we don't 100% know exactly, you know, kind of how they feel about this guy or that guy. I mean, let's just say when you go to the owners meetings, that's one place where you really can pick the brains of the coach and the GM and you kind of feel, you know, we kind of ask about every single guy and you get a handle on it. We haven't spent any time with Andrew Barry and we haven't, haven't spent any time yet with Kevin Stefanski or Alex Van Pelt or anybody else really. So we don't have that body of knowledge that, that says to us, Oh, you know what? I, you know, I think that, you know, hey, you know, they might be open to trading Kareem. You know what I mean? Like you can yeah. pick up little clues along the way when you get to know the people that you're covering. And we haven't had that luxury. We just really haven't yet. So, you know, I can't honestly say, you know, look, some, some teams probably would not have touched Kareem Hunt after, you know, I mean, John Dorsey, like, like Dan said, threw him the lifeline. Some teams, a lot of teams, you know, wanted no part of that. And I don't really 100% know exactly where Andrew Barry, you know, weighs in on that and where Kevin Stefanski weighs in on, on all of that or how they feel about him, how they feel about what happened with the, uh, you know, with the traffic stop. And, you know, Jimmy Haslam had some, you know, kind of strong words where he said, you know, he, he's got to toe the line or, he, or he's not going to be here. The other thing that you have to think about or consider here, I have no idea if this will happen, but I mean, sometimes you see an incident like that. And then a guy gets suspended for the first four games of the season or for the first how many ever games of a season because they get tested, they get thrown into the program, they get, you know, something comes from that. I don't anticipate that happening, uh, but those things, sometimes you just never really know. So it's a great question, but the answer is we don't have a great handle yet on how this new regime feels about every single one of these guys yet. 
Yeah, and, and I do think one of the problems there, when, when you talk about trading Kareem Hunt, and it's sort of how I felt about, you know, him going to free agency, right? and they put a pretty high tender on him. So I think that that gives us a little indication of how they feel about him, that they didn't want anyone to sign him away. But I also think the reality was, I don't think anybody was going to go out and pay him a lot of money, because you still have that baggage. And I, I think as far as the trade market is concerned, that could come up as well. You know, how much can you get back for him based on that baggage? Because really, the, we, we've danced around it a little bit. It seems to me like the only downside with Kareem Hunt, well, one, one is maybe they just can't figure out how to use him. But the real downside is what if something happens again? You know, what, what, if, he, what if he does something to get himself suspended again? You know, what, what if he, he can't kind of continue to rehab his life and his image here in Cleveland? So that's, that's kind of where the downside lies, and that's why I think it would be a little tough to trade him because I think there's some teams that just it would be an absolute non-starter to take him. They've, they've decided we aren't taking guys on with this type of background. But that said, this, this could be a situation where, uh, and I also think their personalities mesh pretty well. I think both guys, at least when things are going well, tend to not care too much about, hey, am I getting the football a ton? Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's something the Browns could explore because he's an asset. And if they decide that they're not getting him on the field enough and there is a chance to maybe get a second or a third round pick for him, I think they would at least explore it. Yeah. And, oh, go, go ahead, Mary Kay. I was just going to say, he's young. He's very young very still. Young. And he hasn't even – he's only got one full NFL season on those legs. So he's really young. I think you might, you know, be a little reluctant to uh, want to give up on, on somebody too soon that's that young and talented. And the other thing to factor in, and I'll, I'll, I'll make this very brief, is that, uh, that you have a contract situation coming up with Nick Chubb. So, yeah. you know, you have to see how that will factor into this whole thing. Yeah, and, I, and that's the only reason I brought it up, because I see this getting complicated with the Nick Chubb contract, assuming success. Um, you know, the Niners traded Matt Breida, uh, running back, one of their running back surplus, uh, to the Dolphins, I believe, for a fifth-round pick. Uh, Breida's up there in age and, of course, never led the league in rushing or anything like that. Doesn't quite look like Kareem Hunt on the field either. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to do here is if, you know, we, we – we, and good for, for good reason, we – uh, compliment Andrew Barry's moves in the Browns offseason thus far because you know it has all made sense up to now but if it comes a point where you need to start looking at reasons why this offense might struggle in 2020 uh, outside of Baker Mayfield I think the, how they use Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb you know if they were to fracture that would be maybe reason two or three why this offense may not work um, but Dan I really like your point about the real worry with Kareem is off the field stuff, unfortunately, because my rebuttal would have been, okay, well then trade Nick Chubb. If you know, you see if he's more valuable, then you trade the more valuable guy and you keep Kareem Hunt, but you trade Chubb and then something happens with Hunt, you're at zero when you had the best duo duos in the backfield. So it's a, it's a complicated situation, but one, one, uh, I think we need to keep him back at, you know, we're, we're going to clip you saying to trade Nick Chubb and put that out on social media. <laughs> so. oh, don't come after me, man. Please, please. I don't want that smoke. I don't need it. <laughs> kind of the situation here for the Browns, and, and I, I say this carefully because in the NFL, there's never clear-cut situations and things change so dramatically. But this is a situation that could kind of just play itself out. And maybe this is just a one-year situation you know, where you've got these two backs and then Kareem Hunt is gone after this season. Now, now, Nick Chubb could complicate things if he were to decide to hold out after because he's eligible for an extension. He has a year left on his contract after this season. 
but he's eligible to get paid after this season too. So he could decide to hold out maybe. I, I don't know if he would do that. Uh, so you, you still got two years of Chubb. Maybe Hunt walks after this year. I, I feel like this is a situation that maybe could just play itself out. But I also know in the NFL, it's, it's, it's almost never that easy. <laughs> I think we've learned that over and over again. We sit here and project, well, this guy's contract goes through here and this guy's goes through here and you think you have it all lined up and then everything changes with one, one quote or one roster move or one injury. Yeah, and you have to consider, too, that, you know, when you look at, like, the Christian McCaffrey contract uh, and how is that going to jive with uh, the analytics way of doing things. Uh, so I think, the, you know, and especially considering that you do have some huge paydays for other guys coming up, I, I think that these are all things that will factor into the equation. Yeah, and, and quickly, on top of the McCaffrey contract, I think the next one to watch is Delvin Cook, um, just a year older than Chubb and, uh, you know, similar, similar styles. And now they're both going to be running wide zone scheme, uh, not, you know, not huge, used hugely in the passing game. So that next contract will be really interesting to watch. Not that Minnesota and Cleveland have similar uh, roster situations right now, but just for the number itself, that's the next down to fall, it seems. And, and Rick Spielman in Minnesota, that's a, uh, you know, Mike Zimmer might not want to hear it, but that is a very uh, analytics-driven front office as well. Rick Spielman definitely uh, buys into a lot of that. So there's, there's very good reason to watch that situation as it plays out. Uh, okay, we're going to take a break. I'm going to tell you about Football Insider, and then we, when we come back, uh, we'll talk about another topic very familiar to us, and that's how this coronavirus is impacting football. We'll be right back. And now comes that time where I tell you about Football Insider. Football Insider is where Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis, and I will text you throughout the day with what we're thinking about the Browns, analysis on the latest news on the Browns, and anything that comes to mind, uh, we'll text you throughout the day. Just to give you some examples uh, of some things we text, um, I, I texted today about left tackles and Joe Thomas and, and how long sometimes it takes for some of these guys to develop. We were a little spoiled with Joe. Ellis texted about that Titans-Ravens uh, game he told you about. Uh, Scott had some predictions uh, about the wide receiver depth chart. That was actually in the newsletter that you get every day. That's right. There's an exclusive newsletter we text you every day that has something that does not run on the site. Or if it does, you get it well in advance of everyone else. So this is the sort of stuff uh, that we put on Football Insider as well as Mary Kay uh, breaking news. So you want to get involved in this. It's $3.99 a month. That's 14 cents a day, but you can get a 14-day free trial that you can cancel anytime. But I don't think you're going to want to. We have seen this thing grow here throughout the year. It's, it's been exciting to watch. All you have to do is go to cleveland.com slash browns, click on the box on the right side of the page to get more information and sign up. Or if you want to start that free trial right now, text 216-208-3965. Again, that's 216-208-3965. Back to the show. Okay, I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast with Mary Kay Cabot and Ellis Williams. I'm Dan Lobby, and we're going to talk about the news today uh, that the NFL is extending the virtual offseason program now to the end of May. Uh, the reality here is that basically eats up all of OTAs, uh, and we're starting to bump up onto mini camps. That's usually the first or second week of June. Uh, it depends how teams schedule this. I know Bill Belichick always does it weird. He, he'll do his mini camp first or whatever. but uh, we're, we're basically at a point where it's safe to say we're probably not going to see football this spring because even if they can start to open things up, we've seen how the NBA has done it. 
and, and I doubt the players union is going to say, oh yeah, we'll, we'll go into late June if it means we can get on the field. They'll probably just let this thing go to training camp. So that's what we're going to talk about. Mary Kay, when you hear this news today, did you think at all about training camp? Did, did training camp pop into your mind? Or are we still just too far away to even kind of imagine what that's going to look like? You know, I've, I've thought all along that the next time we would see the team together would be at some point in training camp. I've just, I never, I just couldn't see how they were going to pull off any kind of an offseason program. Now, I suppose there is some slight chance because things ch are changing very, very rapidly. I suppose there is some slight chance that teams could be afforded the opportunity to get together for one mandatory veteran mini camp at some point before training camp starts. But at this point, I'm saying that seems probably like a long shot because I don't think the states are on the same page. You know what I mean? I, I think that's what's going to make it hard unless they all go to Florida for mini camp, right? I mean, <laughs> Florida has said, come on down, uh, do anything that you want down here. So, um, so who knows? Uh, things are changing very, very quickly. Uh, but no, I, I don't necessarily see a, a mini camp unless things change very drastically so the next time we will see these guys all together would you know probably be in training camp and I was thinking about this today um, do you guys think that um, in some ways if you're going to have to have a zoom meeting would it be would it be harder to stay awake in a big team meeting or on zoom where they can see everybody in their own little square if you have fallen asleep that's a great question, Mary Kay. Um, for me, I it, it'd be the, it'd be the Zoom meeting, just because when you're in the room with all the guys like that, uh, at least you, you got someone next to you, maybe even tapping you to keep you up or something like that. Um, <laughs> but on Zoom, it, it's all on your own. So, and I know those meetings are are getting long. You know, some of these teams are doing two, three hour meetings, ninety minute blocks, things like that. Yeah. Um, to be staring at that screen for that long over and over again, it, it, for me, it'd be the Zoom. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd be scared that I'd be on that, you know, the, you have the, the gallery view and the speaker view and the speaker view puts whoever, whoever's like the loudest big on everybody's screen. I'd be afraid that I'd fall asleep and start snoring and like <laughs> big on, on everyone's screen. I, I think falling asleep in the big meeting room with 90 other guys there probably, yeah. probably is a little bit easier. But I, I, I just think that's the thing. Even that one week mandatory mini camp would be so... I mean, I just look at the NBA. They've got these rules where you have to be on your separate court and everybody has their own basketball. And you have four guys at a time and everything has to get wiped down. It's just hard to imagine that, you know, less than a month from now, really, we'd have 90 guys on a football field hitting each other and then sitting in meeting rooms together and in locker rooms and, and things like that. It's almost like the, it would be best for the NFL if that just didn't happen because then nothing can happen right? Nobody can get sick. It can't get transmitted in a locker room. And then you'd be in a real shutdown situation. So it almost feels like for the NFL, the safest play here is to just keep pushing this down the road. And at the end of July, see if you can open up training camps, let teams try and figure that stuff out and not put yourself in a spot where you have to shut down. Let these other leagues kind of keep working on this. You know, here, here's another thing to, to consider. Have either of you guys, uh, I witnessed a, a family member get a covid test for a medical procedure and it's not fun okay it's it's not fun at all I've and uh, seen how it's done and it is i've never seen it in person but i've, I've heard about it and I, I saw like a photo of one on twitter or something it was 
nasty. It's not a fun experience at all. And I and at this, I, I tried to, you know, talk to a, a medical professional and say, can they do like the cheek swab? Do they have to do the whole like, you know, put this uh, nose swab back into your brain? And uh, and I was told that the cheek swabs were coming up with negatives that were actually then positives when they were nose swabbed. So these players, I mean, to have to get tested like that every single time they go out for a practice, even though it might seem like a small thing to some people, um, that that's going to be a little bit challenging too, because those, those tests are, they can be painful. I mean, they, they, they go somewhat quickly, but you know, that that's going to be something that players, you know, might want to push back on a little bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Ellis, they're going to have to have those rapid tests, right? Those, and they're going to have to mass produce those things quickly. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. And, you know, we've said it before, this all is going to come down to testing and having the supply to test a league the size of the NFL. You know, at the end of the day, the NBA can get away with having a limited amount of personnel. UFC can continue to have fights with limited people on site. It, it, the NFL number is pretty set on who can be there. Now, can you trim the coaching staffs a little bit? I, I suppose. But, you know, these – these training camps open with 90 plus and then you're, and then you're still at 53. That's an enormous number. And that's what the NFL is dealing with, which makes the situation so different than the MLB or NBA, even though the NFL is watching those other leagues so closely right now. Yeah. I guess the, um, the Greenbrier could be back in play in West Virginia. That's where the, the Texans trained for a little while. The saints trained there for a little while. Um, and, and you have to want, I'm sure that these teams are trying to come up with contingency plans where like, Hey, where's some place we could go where everybody can stay in one place and we can quarantine you know, like an old school training camp. And, you know, I'm sure there's some contingency plans being made there. Uh, I, I would be shocked if there's any fans in attendance at training camp, especially, especially depending on your, it might depend on your facility, but you know, we know how that Berea facility is set up. It's very tight quarters. I imagine it's going to be almost impossible for them to open up, but, you know, again, we'll see what happens in two months. Uh, but, th but this is just a reminder that the NFL is still benefiting from the calendar and they're still able to kind of push this stuff as important as the spring program is, especially for a new team like the Browns. It's not vital. You can still get to training camp and still get some stuff done. Uh, but we, we kind of keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And uh, the, you know, this is just another step in, Nobody really knows what to expect over the next two months. Well, you know, the other thing, like, uh, like I mentioned before, is that uh, there's such a disparity in how the states are handling it. I mean, there's three teams in, in California, and yeah. they're, they're pretty, you know, the governor of California is being very careful and very strict about how to do things. And whereas, again, you've got other states that are like, come on down or, you know, let's be all open. And there's got to be uniformity. And I think that will be the challenge in the NFL is to, uh, you know, to get everybody on the same page or these California teams might have to go play in Florida or Georgia or something, you know, I mean, we just don't know how this is going to work. Well, and the, the other thing to consider too, is not I don't know if this has changed because I know Jerry Jones built a, a huge practice facility, but the Cowboys train in Napa. So you've got some teams that maybe go to California. So they they might have to, now again, I don't know if that's changing this year or if that changed last year. I unfortunately don't know off the top of my head, but you no, know, they, 
they're going to have to come up with something else too. So uh, this is all going to be really complicated and who knows, we may all be in Scottsdale for six weeks <laughs> trying to get, trying to, trying to get into top golf on our off days. Um, okay. So that'll do it for this edition of the orange and Brown talk podcast. Uh, I told you about football insider earlier, make sure that you are subscribed because we've got some podcasts some special podcasts coming up uh, on Friday. Ellis is going to uh, talk to someone who covers LSU about Grant Delpit and, and sort of how LSU has taken over the Browns a little bit. And then on Monday, if you haven't read it yet, go check it out. Mary Kay talked to Dan Orlovsky and, and Mary Kay, you wrote the story about it. It's up on the site at cleveland.com slash Browns, but we're going to play the audio from that interview for our Monday podcast. I got a chance to listen to it today. He's, uh, he's really good. There's a lot of really interesting stuff in there. So that's, uh, that's going to be, loaded up and ready to go on Monday. And then we'll be back with Texture Tuesday as usual. So get yourself signed up for Football Insider to participate in that. So for Ellis and Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening.